0: This is the Joe and Amber podcast.
1: 2023 U.S. Open is being played this weekend in Los Angeles, California at the Los Angeles Country Club. It is the first time, Joe, that L.A. has hosted the U.S. Open in 75 years. Of course, it is doing so amidst the fallouts of the drama there between the merger or so called merger between the PGA and Live Golf.
2: Here's hoping it's the last time they host the United States Open because what's going out there what's going on out there today is nothing different than what we see regularly on tour. I mean, not one but two guys in the opening round, Ricky Fowler and Xander Schauffele set the US Open record for low score by firing 8 under 62. Not one guy sets the record, two guys set it. And that's just the morning wave. You have guys on the course right now that have a shot at running at it as well. Dustin Johnson just had a hole in one. 34 guys are under par. What is this? The, the- An easier course is
1: what this is, right? I mean, it's got to be.
2: This is 10 years ago. This event was at Marion in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. I remember it because I volunteered there. If you volunteer for a U.S. Open to work a grandstand or something like that, you work two of the four rounds, but you get a pass to go to the U.S. Open for all of it for free. Everyone was insulting Marion in the lead up to it. The course is too short. They're going to kill it. This isn't going to work. Justin Rose won with a final score of plus one. Not a single guy broke par. And now everyone's tearing apart this L.A. Country Club course. There's a reason that they hold the U.S. Open on Father's Day weekend every year. It's because fathers around the world get an opportunity to watch the greatest golfers in the world get humbled. That's the gift of Father's Day because we're all lousy golfers. We all suck. We all get humbled every time we're out there. And this is the time we get to watch the Rory McIlroys and the Brooks Kepkas and the, the, the Xander Shoffleys get humbled. And you got two guys at eight under after the first day. I don't know. Maybe this is misplaced. Maybe people think that I'm probably going too hardcore right now. But I'll tell you, minus six or worse has been the winning score at the U.S. Open 11 in the last 15 years. So I think it's the equipment. I think it's the fact that the courses just aren't challenging enough anymore for how good these guys have gotten. But this is supposed to be the one tournament every year that beats these guys up, and it's failing to do so.
1: Brandon Grace was previously the only player to fire a 62 at a major. He accomplished that feat in the third round of the 2017 Open Championship between 1895 and 1895. 1895 you remember it well joe between 1895 <laughs> and 2022 no 62s at the u.s open 2023 262s two in the span of three groups At the U.S. Open, this is a very different type of U.S. Open and a very different major than we're used to seeing. That's the reality of the situation of what's happening in Los Angeles.
2: I mean, if it ends up being competitive all the way through, if we get some good big-name players, maybe some unknowns in the mix, get a nice leaderboard, six to eight guys going at it on Sunday, it's all going to end up being worth it and we'll never complain. But if you've got two guys that just absolutely run away from the field, you start to lose interest. Like, the whole point of this is so that the camera is just cutting from group to group to group, big shot after big shot after big shot. And when you break these guys down with harder courses, like Marion played back in 2013, like Shinnecock played in 2018 when Kepka won, like Oakmont played when DJ won in 2016, like, that's what we want to see. That's what people want to watch. And it's just they're killing this course right now. They're absolutely killing it.
1: I would argue, though, if they all end up killing it, that that's actually maybe more fun. But you're right. They all have to be on a more level playing field. Yeah, just, so we'll you know, see. I
2: want to see struggling. I want to see, I want a birdie to mean something. If you put it on right now, guys are, Dustin Johnson had a hole in one. You had uh, I think it see, was- That's what- awesome
1: to me, but I'm not, the, I'm not the guy on my couch who suffers playing golf every day and wants to watch the best people in the world who do it suck, which sounds like exactly who you are. Not
2: it's not so much suck. That was more a rant for for some fun. What I'd like to see is every single thing not look so easy. I want to see the strategy that comes into it. I want to see the drive end up in the rough. So as a result, you got to figure out how you're going to play your second shot, how you're going to scramble. How are you going to chip? How are you going to putt? If everyone's bombing away and just having the time of their life, I see that for every other tournament. Every other tournament they play, that's what the Masters is for. Everybody can go out there and shoot under par every single day. We love it because we're comfortable with it. That's fine. And then the Open Championship, which I believe is the best of the majors, everyone complains because it's too early in the morning and they don't want to get up to watch and the course isn't green and it's too windy. That one's a challenge, but everyone's got to complain about it. Then the PGA Championship just, I don't know, it's the fourth of four majors. So it's like, here we are, U.S. Open weekend, I'd like to see it be competitive. If it is, it'll end up working. But ultimately, you know, let's toughen the course up. It's not like you pick these courses six months out. You know which U.S. Open you're getting like five, ten years in advance. You can trick the course out. Let's go.
1: Joe is here for the struggle. He loves the struggle. It may still end up being very good competition, though, this weekend as the U.S. Open continues forth. I mentioned, though, that this is happening, of course, amidst the news between Live Golf and the PGA Tour teaming up. The bombshell news in the world of golf. Well, now we get the news that I was expecting where the U.S. Department of Justice has opened up a review of the PGA Tour's planned alliance with the DP World Tour and with Saudi Arabia's public Investment fund that comes just a day after you had U.S. Senators Elizabeth Warren and Ron Wyden urge the U.S. Attorney General and U.S. Attorney Assistant General to scrutinize this deal and really look into it a lot of people in the government raising alarms on this deal, Joe. And one of the things that's interesting here is they also very much want the DOJ to very carefully look at the 501c6 tax-exempt status of now the you got PGA me going. Tour. Now you so got me going. here's the thing. The PGA Tour right now, tax-exempt status, right? Well, there's this issue with them potentially teaming up here with the DP World Tour... And with the live tour, because you could be in violation of U S antitrust laws where you're creating essentially a monopoly. There is no competition. It's the same thing that live was alleging when they were suing the PGA tour. So they bring it to the attention of the DOJ. The DOJ was already investigating the PGA tour because of antitrust violations. Thanks to Liv suing the PGA Tour and bringing all these things to light, right? And the existence of Liv. And now Liv teams up with the PGA Tour and it looks like even more anti-competition because they've all joined forces. So the problem of that investigation does not go away. But now on top of that... All of a sudden, government officials are like, wait a minute, why is the PGA Tour tax exempt when reportedly the commissioner, Jay Monahan of the PGA Tour, according to the most recent tax forms, made $14 million in 2021 Uh and used that PJ all over the world along with other PGA Tour officials. And government officials are starting looking at this a little bit sideways. Now, I also think, by the way, this was a huge reason that the PGA Tour Felt they were in a position where they essentially had to fold and try to partner up with Liv because that tax exempt status, I think they didn't want threatened and they were concerned about some of the discovery and some of the scrutiny that was coming their way in the lawsuits filed by Liv. And those lawsuits all go away with this alliance between these parties. But what doesn't go away. Is the government. And in fact, now the government scrutiny seems to be heightening, which I'm not shocked by, but I wonder if the PGA Tour is. Like, I wonder if Jay Monahan was ready for that.
2: I got to tell you, Mrs. Wilson, that is one hell of a golf segment we just put together.
1: It I'd is. I'd like to see little anyone golf, else sport, at this network
2: blah. put a segment like that together, starting with CNC Music Factory. They wouldn't know what they're talking about. Fitz and Harry, 100. Lost in the Weeds. Please. The Morning Show? Not going to go there. It's a lot scary? of star power on like, that gonna show. I'm going to stay stay morning far show. away from making fun of those guys. That is a hell of a golf segment right there.
1: Wait, why would you just swerve on making fun of the morning show? A lot Too of star fancy. power on that show. Yeah. I, I, I,
2: I like to punch down. I'll punch it, Carlin. I'll punch it, Fitz. I'm not punching up on that show. <laughs> a lot of blood of a lot of big a lot of big names up on that show.
1: Yeah, Keyshawn, Jay, Will. Max Kellerman on that list of big names too.
2: Yeah, yeah, and you know what? I enjoy appearing on all your shows, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Yes, as I actually, said, I don't punch up, I punch down. I out. cannot
1: wait to join Max on Monday as I host Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. There, so you, there go. you go. Uh, thank you for having me on Mondays. I love those guys. Those guys are the greatest. Coming up next here on Joe and Amber. Will where will Bradley Beal end up this off season? We will get into it. Joe and Amber's on ESPN Radio.
0: Joe and Amber, the podcast. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets pizza, better because it has to be.
1: Lots of rumors flying all over the NBA. I hope this offseason, Joe is as active as the rumor mill is. Never. We get it never these, is. It never is, never. right? Like, we get these seasons, particularly... Now the NBA has become a year-round sport. It's brilliant at this, where the rumor mill is so fun. The, it's the second the season ends in the NBA. We go immediately to everybody's being traded everywhere. The problem is... <laughs> It normally doesn't really come to fruition. It normally falls a little flat. I'm hoping this is the season that some of these huge names do actually get moved. One of those names that we always do this with is Bradley Beal. And the man just stays in Washington. So it never actually happens. Well, now it actually looks like it's going to happen because at least reportedly the Washington Wizards and Bradley Beal are both working together to make it happen. Joe and Amber is presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career path with flexibility and great pay and benefits? Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. So the question is... If Bradley Beal is on the move, where is he going to wind up? Well, Jay Williams, he hosts a show that Joe and I are huge fans of here on ESPN, right? Huge. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max. And he had an interesting idea where Beal would fit
0: the Golden State Warriors. It makes all the sense in the world. I go back to when Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole and the whole chemistry was just disrupted. You got Draymond
2: Green, who's a pivotal piece to them making one last run for this team of a championship with the core together, okay? I think he opts into the contract. Now, what you do with Clay coming off this year is a big-time question, but if you're Golden State and you're trying to extend the runway... For Steph's legacy in this continuity system, why do you not think about letting Jordan Poole go? You're already talking about letting Kaminga go, potentially Moses Moody. Now, I don't want to give up that much. I've heard people throw in potentially Klay Thompson as well. Is there a way to make a move for a Bradley Beal with Steph? It fits flawlessly.
1: Credit to Jay Williams, because that is the only person I have heard throw out the Warriors as the team that's the best fit For Bradley Beal, Joe, I've heard the Lakers because also everyone's always going to the Lakers, right? But the Lakers, the Miami Heat, the Sacramento Kings, there's a lot of teams being floated out there, maybe the Knicks, but the Warriors, I've only heard that from Jay Will so far.
2: Ah, yes. Unless you were in the Golden State Warriors market for any of the last seven years, and this was an annual rumor every single year. Hey, you know who might be dangled? Bradley Beal. Wouldn't he be a great fit? So it's gone on forever on a local perspective. He sees it on the national perspective. It's interesting because the Warriors have a need, and they have a lot of guys that they're seemingly not happy with. They gave a lot of money to Jordan Poole. He was god-awful last season. Absolutely terrible in the playoffs when they needed him to step up. He was not capable of doing what they paid him to do in any situation. He shrunk in the moment. And you got to wonder if the situation with Draymond played a big role in that. On top of it, they've drafted a lot of guys the last few years with high picks that are not delivering. Jonathan Kaminga is rumored to be on the trade block. Moses Moody, they've already traded James Wiseman, who they used the number two pick on not too long ago. So if they're going to make one last run at it, they have a lot of assets that they could ship off. Whether or not the contracts line up, that's always the key detail. Beal, get this. Do you know how many people in the NBA make more money on their overall contract than Bradley Beal? One, Mm -hmm. one guy, Nikola Jokic, Giannis, Steph, Luca, Trey Young, Joel Embiid, list every other player in the NBA. They're all making less. $251 million and a no trade clause for everybody. 100%. It's not a few teams like in baseball. He has a guaranteed no trade clause in there. It's a very difficult contract to move. One thing I disagree with from Jay Williams' perspective, and I'd like to know what you think you cannot include Clay Thompson in that trade. They will hate Bradley Beal the minute he arrives if losing Clay was part of it. Clay is beloved in that town. If he ever ran for office, he would get 100% of the votes. There is no chance you move on from Clay Thompson. I
1: also don't know how interested the Wizards are in getting a Clay Thompson back. Is that fair to say? Now, I do understand that his name has been floated several times in several ways with several different traits. Clay Thompson isn't the player he once was. And so if you're bringing in another player to essentially create a new core there in Golden State, then it's possible that Clay would have to be part of that package. I can understand it from that perspective. I just don't know how much Clay moves the needle from the receiving team, right? And frankly, if you're including a package that's Kaminga and Andrew Wiggins, like, I guess you would be doing if you're like, what is the package you're putting together here for Beal? That's so attractive to Washington. Now there's conflicting reports there about what the wizards are trying to get back because really they're trying to dump the contract. Golden State does have a 2026 first rounder that they could throw in as well. Is that the type of... I would imagine that's the type of thing that Washington wants in return. Is Washington going to get it? Because you are taking on that extraordinary contract like you just mentioned. So are they more interested in trying to collect assets? Or are they more interested in just trying to move the player and get it off the books? It's probably
2: more of the, we want the picks rather than the assets, because I don't know how excited you are about any of these players. But if you evaluate them and you think a new situation could be beneficial, you could probably get some nice pieces out of that. Kaminga and Moody didn't get a lot of playing time in Golden State. There's still a lot to discover with them. And as for Jordan Poole, he could be a change of scenery guy that steps in and plays well for you. The Wizards have to get away from Beal. It's something personal. It's just they made some bad decisions with the contract. They didn't build around them properly. They're not going anywhere as a franchise. They need to reset. So they basically need to unload the deal, get whatever they can in return, and then start building back up. Because as long as they are saddled by this contract, they are not going anywhere. They just don't have the flexibility to pull it off.
1: The interesting thing about this season, because you just said it there, where – Every single year for the last however many years on the local level, they've been talking about this in Golden State. I feel like it's the same thing, frankly, in Miami, where it's like every single year, Bradley Beal might be available. Bradley Beal might be. The man's never available. This year, the difference is he's actually available, or so it seems. And you mentioned the no trade clause, but it feels like finally the Wizards and Beal are on the same page. He's gotten paid he looks for greener pastures in part of this. You would think in part of doing that, though, because of the no trade, he's going to want to go to a contender. And so all these teams that are being floated out there are that with Beale. I don't know much about Bradley Beal from a personal perspective. Like, I don't hear much about, well, Beale would really want to be so-and-so you know, at such-and-such place because of so-and-so's connection with so-and-so or he's best friends with this guy or this guy's his boy. You don't really hear much when it comes to Bradley Beal from that perspective. Relatively
2: quiet superstar playing on a team in a market that just hasn't made any noise for quite some time. Last time we heard him was when Russell Westbrook was there. There was some noise in that postseason play-in situation, but outside of that, it's time for them to do a fresh start. And you know what? For Beal, he's a talented player. Time for a fresh start for him as
1: well. He's a very talented player. I know in Miami, there are mixed feelings uh, from fans. Some people really want him because it's exciting. Some people really hate how that contract looks. And the contract, the money, certainly does factor into any trade that Beal will be part of.
0: Joe and Amber, the podcast.
1: a little fun and play NFL GM in just a moment Joe and Amber on ESPN radio find him on social at Joe Fortball you can find me as well at Amber W sports so where are some of these guys the biggest names in the NFL who've been franchise tagged guys that are there at minicamp but maybe the deal's not going to get done we're going to have some fun with some of those names in just a moment first though Joe's got the advice
0: pizza money alert
1: pizza pizza
2: a little baseball action. Dodgers, White Sox later tonight. We're going to go under nine total runs. It's your Tums game of the evening. Anytime you bet an under when the Dodgers are involved, but the righty Dylan Cease, who's pitching for Chicago has been pitching well as of late. 294 ERA over his last six outings. The value here is in Dodgers righty Michael Grove. If you take a look at his stats this year, his ERA is north of eight. That is not a mistake. It is north of eight. It looks terrible, but. A lot of that is attributed to a game in early April against Arizona when he gave up nine earned runs. He's only made a small handful of starts this year, so it's overinflated based on that one performance. And oh, by the way, he's facing a White Sox team that is absolutely dreadful when it comes to hitting right-handed pitching. Pizza Money number 2, Dodgers-White Sox under nine runs.
1: So there are guys in the NFL that are there at these mandatory mini camps this week, but are they playing on a franchise tag this season? Are they getting a deal done or are they on the move? So Joe, I'm going to allow you to play GM and we're going to run through some of these names. You tell me where you think if they're on the move that they should end up. Okay. Let's start with an obvious one here with Saquon Barkley because they're trying to work something out there with the New York Giants. It hasn't been worked out. He's on the franchise tag this season. Is he on the move? If so, where you got him?
2: Okay, so just like yesterday, I'm going to go ahead and clarify. I thought the bit was what you do in terms of paying them or not paying them. Oh, is because that what we're doing here? I have every single one of these guys staying with their team. It's just a matter of how you approach them contractually. Am I wrong for the second night in a row? Because if I am, I can switch and pivot very quickly.
1: You know what? Let's do. You're. If, let's do your version of this because. So you think Saquon is staying with the New York Giants? He's playing with the New York Giants. Is he staying on the franchise tag or is he working out a deal? Let's do it
2: that way. None of these guys are going anywhere this year. So I'll combine the two things together. Here's what's going to happen for Saquon. He's under the franchise tag. He hasn't signed it. He doesn't want it. It's $10 million. The problem for Saquon is that the running back market has dropped in recent years, last season, there were eight running backs making $12 million or more per year. This season, it looks like there's only five guys making $12 million or more per year. He turned down deals in the 12 to $13 million per year range, and those are now off the table. So I don't know what he thinks he's going to get. Maybe if he's willing to take 12 a year, he can get multiple years and more guaranteed money. Otherwise, it's going to be 10 on the franchise tag, or he's sitting out and getting nothing. He doesn't have a whole lot of leverage here.
1: He doesn't have a whole lot of leverage. Uh, This is the story of playing at that position. It's kind of a sad story, right? In the NFL. I mean, sad, not compared to maybe the rest of us. These guys still certainly have had incredible careers and get paid handsomely. But the reality is that that position, there is trepidation of paying those guys moving forward, no matter how much they've done for their organization. Saquon showed this past season, he's still got a lot left in the tank. He's still very clearly helpful to that quarterback, having him there in the backfield. All of that being said, I would be very concerned about the durability of of Saquon Barkley at that position, these guys at that position always seem older than they are, and he's on the older side of that position. If I'm the Giants, I'm not budging because what you end up doing in this scenario, if he won't take a lot less money, what you end up doing is you're paying him for past performance. Although Saquon still had a very good season, I do think offering him too lucrative of a deal is just going to result in paying for a past performance. You're going to end up the Dallas Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott and all the other, the Panthers or Christian McCaffrey, and all the other examples that we see over time at that position where it just doesn't work out when you pay the guy for a variety of reasons, Joe. Josh Jacobs, similar situation, franchise tagged in your neck of the woods.
2: This one is very easy. If you're the Raiders, you slap the franchise tag on him like you did. You let him play out the franchise tag. And then next year, if he wants more money, you just let him go. You're not going to do anything else. Jacobs carried the ball 340 times last year in Josh McDaniel's first year. As the Las Vegas Raiders head coach, it's very clear they want to run the ball and it's very clear they want to bell cow back. So now through four seasons in the NFL, Jacobs has carried the ball 1,072 times. He's been very good. This is not a knock on him, but you're not going to run him into the ground like that through four years. Run him into the ground again this year and then turn around and give him a long term deal. You're going to find a cheaper alternative next year. Play him under the franchise tag and then look to the future.
1: He's 25 years old. Again, with these guys, it feels like they're so much older than they are when they're at that position. And you're right. They've run him into the ground in terms of touches. That's never a good situation in that position when you're talking about paying him long-term. But I agree with you. That you can just let him go. That's been an organization that's retooling, anyways. They haven't found their footing. Listen, they just, if you can let Derek Carr go, then you can let Josh Jacobs go. That's the reality of the situation. I agree with you. They end up moving on from him. Nick Bosa, he's at minicamp, confident a deal will get done. Maybe we'll actually see a deal here in place. What should the San Francisco 49ers do?
2: Make him the highest-paid pass rusher in the league. You're not spending any money at the quarterback position anymore. Garoppolo's gone. Sam Darnold's there on a cheap deal. Brock Purdy's on a cheap deal. Trey Lance is on a cheap deal. You got money to spend, and this is where you spend it. Four seasons in the NFL. He's gone to the Pro Bowl three years. Right? He was the AP Defensive Rookie of the Year. He was sixth in MVP voting last season. He was the Defensive Player of the Year last year. Nine sacks as a rookie, 18.5 sacks this past season, 15 and a half sacks a year ago, and that only tells part of the story. His disruptions, the penalties he draws, the guy is absolutely incredible. The only reason he's not 4 for 4 with Pro Bowls and everything else, he got injured in his second year. People thought injuries might be a concern because he was banged up a bit at Ohio State, but he's come back to play. 33 of a possible 34 games over the last two years. And I think they just sat him in the last week last season, if memory serves me correctly, but I'm not really sure. You pay Nick Bosa, you make him the highest paid defensive player in the league.
1: Well, that's why we're now talking about a different position. And it's a very different conversation when we're not talking about that running back position, the Atlanta Falcons defense, has had 36 sacks over the last two seasons. Nick Bosa alone has had 34. The man is a machine. He's an NFL defensive player of the year. He is easily one of the NFL's most premier defenders. You absolutely pay that man. At 25 years old, he is worth every single dollar. You pay him, San Francisco. You certainly keep him around. Jonathan Taylor, let's go back to the running back position. Express concern with how running backs are valued in the NFL. He's a hell of a good one, Joe. What do you do with Jonathan Taylor? This one's
2: very tricky. He's been in the league three years. He had an incredible sophomore season in 2021. He was an all-pro. He ran for 1,800 yards. Last year, the numbers dipped significantly, but it wasn't necessarily his fault. The O-line has taken a hit. The quarterback play took a hit. Frank Reich ended up getting fired. It was a mess in Indianapolis. He's got 756 carries under his belt, so there's plenty of gas left in the tank. But the issue is, do you want to pay him now? Because it's only been three seasons. It feels like with running backs, when you draft them, and especially in the first round, let them play out the four years of their contract, then pick up the fifth-year option, then maybe franchise them in the sixth year if they're still good, and then after that, let them go and start fresh. You just got six years out of a rookie running back. That's fantastic, considering what happens to them as they get older and they wear down. One so quick would just, correction here. I sit wait.
1: One quick correction, though I don't believe Jonathan Taylor has a fifth-year option on his rookie deal, so I don't think they that's an option up? yet. Well, no, I don't think oh, that the way rounder. he's not a third. Yeah, no first year, wow. op- no fifth-year option exists because he wasn't a first-round pick. So I don't believe so that that is an the option franchise. there. Right. So you could franchise him or you could pay him now. This is when he becomes extension eligible. That's why we're having this conversation now, even though it feels a little early, you could pay him now coming off of an injury riddled season, right? Where he did miss six games. Does that help the price tag? Do you want to go have him go have an another monstrous season and then then be negotiating this extension off of that. I do think you start the talks now and sort of feel it out and see where you are. This one is not an easy one though, because although we have been saying with these other running backs, it's pretty easy to let them walk if they don't want to stay for very cheap because it unfortunately is the reality of that running back position with Jonathan Taylor, man, you were talking about, a dude who is at the tip top of his game still and in an unbelievable game. I mean, think about what that team would be without him (laughs) these last few years. I mean, you wouldn't have given your fans anything to watch. Joe and Ampers presented by progressive insurance. So let's finish off being NFL GMs here with T Higgins. People thought that he might get traded. His general manager has shut that idea down pretty quickly. What do they do with T Higgins?
2: So this is where you have to start thinking three, four, five years down the road. T Higgins wants to get paid. He's a very good wide receiver, but you also have Jamar Chase, who's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Now, Chase, you can kick the can down the road on him, but really only for a couple more seasons. On top of that, you're about to break the bank for your quarterback in Joe Burrow. So ask yourself three, four years from now, how much of a percentage of your salary cap can you have tied up in your quarterback? and your top two wide receivers and still have enough good pieces around you to compete for Super Bowls. Are there any examples out there right now, I'm genuinely asking, I don't know, where there's a franchise top-tier quarterback on a franchise deal – with two solid, excellent wide receivers who are making big money as well? And if so, how good are those teams? Because I think that's too much money to pay at the position. You have Tyler Boyd on the roster. He's getting a little older, but he's productive. It feels like if you can get something done, you're going to have to try some cap gymnastics so that you can move on from him once the big money kicks in from Chase's contract, which would be right after the big money kicks in from Burrow's contract.
1: I mean, it's exactly why the Chiefs let Tyreek Hill walk, right? This is what happens when you end up hitting on your quarterback and having to pay him monster money. Obviously, goal number one you get the deal done with Joe Burrow. Like that's what Cincinnati has to focus on. But then right after that, Higgins is going to end up becoming the priority for this front office. And I do think maybe there is an advantage to trying to get this extension done with Higgins on the heels of also getting an extension done with Burrow. And then when Jamar Chase becomes eligible for a contract extension next season, you deal with that and you tackle that situation because maybe you can have some fanciful way of structuring T Higgins contract to make it more possible to also retain Jamar Chase on an extension because also you're doing it at the same time that you just negotiated Burroughs contract. There's not years apart, in other words, between these deals. So it feels like an advantage from a structure perspective with the front office. That's a lot of gymnastics. You call it gymnastics. It's a lot of gymnastics. It's way above either of our pay grades. But it does feel like, to me, you have those conversations now because I would imagine doing it now while you're also negotiating the Joe Burrow deal is probably as a front office an advantage to trying to figure it all out and make the money work three, four gen- years from now.
2: Yeah, generally, a lot of these deals, it's, it's, it's a big number, but then the first year, it's not a bad cap number because it's a signing bonus and it's prorated over the life of the deal. So it gets spread out. And then as you hit years two, three, and four, that's when the money really starts to climb. So maybe you could do that right now with Higgins. And then when his is about to kick in, you have Burrow who's on the cheap first year. And then as his is about to kick in, you have Chase at which time you have an out. So you can move on from Higgins after three years, there's ways to get it done, but you have to be very good at this sort of thing.
1: There's also ways for you to get it done because we are opening up the phone lines to you. This is the point of joining Joe and Amber, where we invite you to join the conversation Triple H, say ESPN. What did you think about our general managing in the NFL? What did you think about the Denver Nuggets parade today? Anything that you want to bring our way? The PGA Tour, the U.S. Open, 888-729-3776. We will get to your phone calls next.
0: Joe and Amber, the podcast.
1: you're getting to your phone calls here on joe and amber if you want to join the conversation triple eight say espn 888-729-3776 you can also tweet to us at joe fortenbaugh that's how you find him at amber W Sports. that is how you find me let's play some caller roulette 13 black odd no winner.
0: spin the wheel make a deal it's a game of chance let's play call a roulette with joe and amber
1: Let's spin it. Eric, Eric is in South Jersey. Hey, Eric, thanks for the call. What do you have for us? Hey, how you doing? We're great. Go ahead. So
2: my, my, uh, recommendations to the NFL, uh, GM scenario with the running back, uh, being the value, uh, why not, uh, for like, um, uh, grouping specific so running backs wide receiver quarterbacks if they're drafted in the first round for example let's say a running back instead of it being four years with the fifth year option because of uh the wear and tear on the running backs it would be for the running backs a three year with a four year option uh, and then sp- uh, specifically breaking that down per grouping because it's essentially not fair for the running backs because they put in all this work they you know. The very a very big integral part uh, of, of offenses in the NFL teams. But for them, when they time to get paid because of, you know, the, the value and the wear and tear on the body, they don't they don't get what they deserve.
1: I mean, really, Joe, you could argue. And thanks for the call there, Eric. Joe, you could argue that the fifth year option screws all the players. Right. Because. A lot of these quarterbacks, when you pick up their fifth-year option, then you're also not paying them what you otherwise would be paying them because they're still on their rookie deal despite what you're getting out of them. So there's that component to it. And then there's the component that Eric's talking about where from the specific running back position, if they were drafted in the first round, it's an option too. You're always going to pick it up because of course you want to keep your running back on a rookie deal because you don't want to pay the guy who's playing at that position because of the wear and tear on their bodies. The problem with trying to change that is that would be up to the NFL players and the NFLPA as part of the CBA. And on that front, clearly the owners have made sure that they have a fifth-year option as an option to them in rookie contracts.
2: The better you are, the more control the owners are going to want over you at a cheap price. And that's exactly what happens with first round picks. They're projected to be the best players in the business. So they want four years of your services at a reasonable cost. And if you're good enough, they want to pick up that fifth year option at a reasonable cost. And if you're still good enough, they will give you the franchise tag for the sixth year. Think about it. What's the average career span for an NFL player? It's not more than three years. And you know, yet you have the ability to hear, to keep good players under reasonable cost, For six seasons, it's a hell of a mechanism, but it's part of why the contracts are fully guaranteed for rookies. So it's like pick your poison here, right? As soon as you get drafted and sign on the dotted line, that money is yours, all of it.
1: And of course, with a franchise tag, you are getting paid, but these guys want the deal because they want the security. I mean, the franchise tag is still a large price tag going into your bank account, but only for a single season when you want the extension because you want the job security. All of that is negotiations in the CBA. Let's spin the wheel. Mark, Mark is in California. Hey, Mark, you're on with Joe and Amber. Go ahead. Mark? Yeah, my name is Juan. Oh, Juan.
2: Go yeah. ahead, Juan. Well, Juan, it's I, great I, to I,
1: hear I, from you. What do you yeah. got?
2: Well, what I got is I, I find that, okay, yeah, Denver beat the Lakers. They beat them. They swept them. Okay, they beat them. But they don't have nothing to be saying, oh, well, you know what? You know, we're, we're the Lakers daddies now. Ain't the Lakers daddy. They got one title. Whoopee. One one title. We have 17 titles. We have 17 banners hanging up there out of the pinky of Kobe Bryant has more intelligence to be thinking that kind of stuff than what that guy is talking about. That that Coach Malone, yeah, he's an excellent coach. He, don't get me wrong. He's an excellent coach. He did an excellent job this year. Hats off to them. They are the champions. Let's, let's give them their, their dues. Don't be disrespectful. Well,
1: I mean, they are the champion. Juan, thanks for the call. They are the champion and also they did sweep you on the way to the championship because Juan sounds like... A Lakers fan. I understand what he's doing there. It was a shot at the Lakers. What he's referencing is the reporter that introduced head coach Michael Malone at the parade today for the rest of us on the outside, outside of Lakers nation. It was funny and funny is funny. I understand why the Lakers fans a little salty about it, Joe.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, you got swept and that's how it's going to be because when you win, we have to hear about it everywhere. When you lose, that's the the trade-off for being one of the marquee franchises in all of professional sports. You get all the glory and all the discussion when things are going well.
1: Hold on. It's not just when you win we have to hear about. It. It's when you lose. It's when you breathe. It's when you exist. It's when you eat dinner. <laughs> it's when true. you wake up in the morning. It's We never don't hear about the Los Angeles Lakers. And don't talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. But take that disrespect as a compliment because the reason they're bragging about being your daddy is because you are one of those perennial franchises.
0: This has been the Joe and Amber Podcast. You can listen to Joe and Amber live weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, or on your smart speaker. Joe and Amber, the podcast.